Good morning. Okay, we are in 1 John, and we have been considering, as Chuck mentioned, the impact of the incarnation. And um, again, as I was praying and meditating on what to, to teach on during um, the Advent season, the, the Lord just impressed me with this impact on the incarnation. And, you know, what if the incarnation never happened? Or so what the incarnation did happen? You know, what impact does that have upon my life or upon our life as a whole? And as I analyzed each one of these things, these reasons why, it kept coming back to First John, John's epistle, and how John has intertwined all these things into his, his writing to, to the children of God. And um, as we've looked at this over the last couple of weeks, the, um, we have seen that as the resurrection is the core of the gospel, so the incarnation is the foundation of the message. That reality is you cannot have the resurrection of Christ if you don't have the incarnation of Christ. You know, that it's, it goes together. And over the last couple of weeks then, we have considered this impact, um, looking, first of all, at its impact upon the revelation of God, which is the word of God, if you would. Um, he spoke it, but he also spoke it so that it would be written down for you and I. And so we saw in that, that the validity of our testimony, the, the truthfulness of our testimony, is really based upon the veracity or truthfulness of the testimony of God. If God's word isn't true, then our testimony isn't true. And in God's word, he very clearly states that when Messiah was to come, that he would be born of a virgin. And not only would it be a man being born of a virgin, but that Yahweh himself, God would come, and he would be incarnate upon the earth. And that's why he would come being born of a virgin. And we saw in that, that um, moving then into the redemption of man last week, the, 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 how critical that was, because when he came and he was born of a virgin, that allowed him to be sinless, the sinlessness of Christ in his sacrifice, because of the universality, if you would, the universal nature of sin and the universal consequences of sin for man that we all are born in sin. And so if Christ wasn't born of a virgin, he would have been born in sin. But because he's God and he was born of a virgin, he wasn't born into sin. He was born sinless. He was born without blemish. And so being without blemish, then, he was able to be the perfect sacrifice. And so we read that he offered up um, his, his self for sins once for all, and then he sat down, whereas the, the priests never sat down. They continually offered up sacrifices for sin. But Jesus only had to offer up himself once, once for all. And so in that then, we were considering that, but now we slide into this next section that, that John is talking about, um, and that's going to be on the reflection of Christ. And, and that is that, as you read there, that those who are Christ will reflect the example that he said in his incarnation, that when Jesus Christ came to the earth, he came to die for our sins. That's important. That's important. However, it goes beyond just the sacrifice. Because God wants us to be in a relationship with him. And God's purpose for us, as we see in Romans chapter 8, is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. So he could have did it from a distance. He could have paid a penalty from a distance, just to kind of let us know. You know, the prophets tell us that God paid the penalty for our sins. All we have to do is believe it. He didn't have to come to the earth. Make sense? So when Moses, think about it, when the, the snakes were, were in, 
God said to Moses, make a what? A, a brazen serpent and place it upon a pole and stick it in the middle of the camp, right? And so if anybody's bit, he had to do what? He had to get up, right, he had to get from wherever he was, get into the center of the camp and look upon the, the serpent that was on the, on the pole and then he would be healed, look and live, right? And so did God come down at that very moment and die for them? He didn't. Could he have? He could have, but he chose to do it in a different way. Now, was that, that healing at that moment was just what, though? Was it eternal? It was temporal. See, it was just to heal them from the, the bite of the, the, the serpent. But God used that as an illustration for the eternal that he would do. And so we look on Jesus him being risen up, and we then live eternally. We'll talk about that as we go. But when Jesus came then, he didn't come just to be the penalty of our sins, to pay the penalty of our sins. He came to walk on the earth to show us an example of how we ought to now live. Okay? And in that, John's going to show us then three different ways that... Did I skip a section here? Three different ways that we are to reflect that. I think it must be on the next one. So the goal of John's testimony, okay, is that he states here in John uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Okay? Yeah, I'm ahead of myself. And so, so John writes this, okay, because he wants them to have this fullness of joy. What's really kind of exciting here, and, and I could skip past this, um, but this is really, really exciting for me. I, don't, I never saw this before, and so I just want to share it with you. This is kind of like part of my testimony time. You know, I get to stand up twice and share testimony time. And um, this fullness of joy, literally, the, the word um, peple rome, um, romene, um, is um, from the word pleroma. Now, most of you have been here for a while. You, you've heard me talk about the word pleroma. It's that word that I talk about with the wine goblet or a goblet where you can pour water in and pour water in it, and how much can you put in it? You can put in it more than it's already there, okay? So it bubbles over because of the hydrogen bonding, okay? So the hydrogen bonding, literally, when you look at the side of that, that goblet, side of that cup, it's, the water is beating over the rim. But if you put one more drop in, what happens? It all spills over the rim, okay? Because it breaks the hydrogen bonding over the rim, okay? So if you picture that goblet where it's bubbled over, that's pleroma. Everywhere, just till that last drop. Make sense? It's full such that it cannot fit another drop in it. That's actually the word that's used for Christ's coming, when the fullness of time had come. Not one more second could fit in God's hourglass of time when Christ came to the earth. It was full. It was, it was there. Okay? So he tells us that he's writing so that our joy may be full. But what's exciting is not just this word, but that it's in the perfect sense. Now, for those of you who've understood, have taken Greek, okay, that the perfect sense is a past action that has a continuing result, okay? Jesus on the cross cried out, Tetelestai. You know it better as, it is finished, okay? Now, was it just finished for that moment? And now somebody else had to come? No, it was in the perfect sense, Tetelestai, Tetelestai. Okay? It means that it's completed forever. Nothing ever has to be done again. It has a continuing result. I've completed it and it has a continuing result forever. This joy, being full, is in the perfect sense. It never 
goes away. It's going to continually have an, an additional effect upon you. So literally, you could say that, translate this, that you may be perpetually filled with joy. That you may be perpetually filled with joy. The joy never, ever has to go away. Your cup is always full. It's when we allow other things to come in and rob us of joy. Because in Christ, we are full. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 15. Okay, We're going to be looking at a lot of verses here, okay? And so, kind of keep your finger in 1 John and John, okay? Because we're going to be bopping back and forth. Some other books of the Bible, too, but we're going to be looking at John um, writing, get Jesus' testimony a lot here as confirmation of the things that John is telling us as well. And in John chapter 15, beginning of verse 10, this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. That your joy may be full, because this is the inception of the joy. Where does our joy come from? It comes from your relationship with Jesus Christ. You get it? Your joy isn't in a season. There are people out there singing, joy to the world, and they haven't got a clue who Jesus is. And their life isn't full of joy. They're just singing some songs. They're, they're having joy in lights. This is the festival of lights, in case you haven't figured out. We call it the Feast of the Incarnation, okay, in Christmas. But the world is transitioning back to thousands of years ago, where it was the festival of lights, okay? You just... Have your ears open. You hear it, okay? And it's becoming more and more the festival of lights, okay? And that's why there's a, a lot of people who aren't even believers, okay, who are, are decorating their houses with what? Lights, okay? And, and so people go out and they look at all the Christmas lights, okay? But slowly, the term festival of lights is coming in, okay? Just, just listen to that. And you'll, you'll see how it's, it's coming in, okay? And so people are starting to celebrate this. Well, the, the reality is that the impact of the incarnation is such that Jesus said, I came into the world so that my joy might remain in you so that your joy may be what? Full. Get it? And so if the cup of joy is going to be full in you, it's only going to come when you're remaining in Christ and Christ remaining in you. Does that make sense? So you can be happy without being joyous. And if you are, then what happens? The minute something that you don't like happens, you have no what? Joy, because your joy wasn't joy, it was happiness. It was self-centered, happiness. And so the impact of the incarnation is that if Christ was incarnate, that you might have perpetual joy. He said that, you may, that my joy may remain in you. Your joy, ultimately then, is a reflection of the joy of Christ in you. And that's what John is now going to start coming out with. He's going to start talking about this reflection that we have of Christ in our life. And the genuineness is what he's really going to talk about. He's going to be talking about the genuineness of that reflection. 
this epistle isn't, if, if you struggle in your relationship with Christ, this epistle, this epistle isn't a fun epistle. This is one that you're going to try to avoid, okay, like the plague. And we're going to find out over the next couple of weeks why, okay? This isn't, you know, we, we think of it, go, you know, Christmas time is a fun time and stuff like that, but John comes out right off the bat, and he's going, to th- he's going to put a shot across the bow of whether these people really are saved or not, whether they really know Christ or not, whether the joy of Christ is residing in them. John says, look, I'm writing, so your joy will be full. And so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to challenge you in your relationship with Christ. Because if you don't know Christ, you don't have real joy. That's exactly right. And so the first thing we see in this genuine reflection, okay, is that which we've already talked about. Those who are in Christ will believe the truth of his incarnation. Remember, we talked about that the very first week, about the, um, the, the discussion of the, the veracity of the word of God, okay, and the truthfulness of the word of God. And we know that there are then antichrists who are in the world. Remember that? We talked about that. And what do the antichrists declare? That Jesus didn't come in the flesh. They go against the incarnation. It's no wonder for us today if people dispute whether Christ really came in the earth. And so, um, Karen, like you shared, the Lord child saying, you mean God's real? I mean, why does, I mean, that, it's, I heard some of you go, huh? I mean, it's mind-boggling for us to think that somebody living in the Bible Belt could even comprehend, think that maybe God isn't real. I mean, they may not get everything. They may struggle with creation. But to think that God isn't real, and they're coming to the Good News Club, well, mind-boggling is that. But God is real. And so the attack is against the incarnation of Christ. So those who are Christ, those who are in Christ, we're told right off the bat, they believe, they will believe that God came in the flesh. But then John gets into this, this threefold cord, if you would, of um, evidence that's going to be revealed in those who are Christ. Things that pragmatically, practically will exude out of your life. And those three things are going to be his light, his love, and his life. That in, throughout these rest of these chapters, from chapters 1 through chapter 5, these three um, topics, themes, are woven in and out of each other. And so I'm trying to unravel the cord, if you would, okay, and, and deal with one of them at a time. But you're going to see, hopefully, as Chuck has read the last three weeks, including today, you've seen each of these topics, each of these themes woven in. So even today, we're going to talk about light, his light. But the reality is, as Chuck read today, and as, as I'm going to read a bunch of verses, and we're going to look at them together, you're going to see love and, and life all tied together in these things. And the reality is that those who are in Christ who are exuding the joy of Christ because of the joy of Christ is abiding in them, will, they will be exuding light, love, and life. And if they are not evident in your life, as we're going to see very clearly, and I'm not the one who said this, this is, all scripture is what? Inspired by God, and holy men spoke as they were given it, from the Holy Spirit, right? And so we believe that John was inspired and John was given the words to declare. And so who ultimately is going to be declaring these challenges to us? God himself. Because God wants us not to make a mistake. He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. He is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, right? And so as we go through these things, don't close off. Ah, that's not me. Ask yourself. 
I ask myself, is this me? I don't want to get there. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, after I've preached to everyone else to find out that I myself was found ungenuine. How awful would that be? To, to get to heaven, and after you've declared the message to everybody else, you realize that what? You've all long been playing a game. Now, I want to start with a testimony, and then we're going to move into this. There was, I shared my testimony of how I got saved, okay, from in my bed. But I didn't share what God did and how he brought me there and, and the, the rest of that. I was in the military, and so clearly, you know, all, these are all random things that happen, right? And so um, I had a four-year scholarship for the Army. I thought I was going to go to one of the academies. I didn't get to go to the academy. But the Army offered me a four-year scholarship to anywhere I wanted to go. So I decided I decided I wanted to go to Carnegie Mellon, okay? And so yada, yada, yada. We can make a long story short. I wound up going there, okay? And so when I was in ROTC. Make sense? So being a, a guy, guys love to play Army and war growing up, right? And so when we think of Army and we think of war, we think clearly of computers and working in a computer shop, right? No, it's not at all. We think of guns and, and rolling in the mud. And, and kind of, my dad was a Marine, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So when Bob's thinking Army, Bob's thinking he wants to join and be part of the, the infantry or something like that. You know, that's what Bob's desire was. His vision was going to be, you know, go to Germany and get on the front line and all this kind of stuff, play the mud and all this kind of stuff. Well, at the same time, God just worked in this young lady to, to become part of the Army. And she went the real man's way and uh, went through boot camp and all this kind of stuff. And she had a, um, was going through ROTC. And she drove hours into Pittsburgh to, to go. And so this boy who wanted to be in infantry met this, this young lady who wanted to be in the military. And she decided that no longer was she going to go airborne because that was going to inhibit the relationship that she was starting to understand with this young man who wanted to be in infantry. And this young man decided that he no longer wanted to be in infantry because she didn't want to go to Germany. So he decided, well, he might, since his, his undergraduate degree was in computer science, he might as well see if he can use his computer science degree and stay somewhere in stateside. Well, that young man decided, you know, he wanted to go to California or Colorado or Washington, beautiful places to go. But he realized, according to his grades, his GPA, that probably he wouldn't get those three places. So where else could he go that maybe he could get and would be stuck at Fort Ord, or not Fort Ord, but Fort Polk, Louisiana? Sorry for those people from Louisiana. Anyways, and, and, but you get it right, Rodney, you know? Man, I could have been stuck. You know, and so I said, no, no, i got to put down someplace so I don't get stuck in one of these arm, armpit places. And so, and, oh, sorry about that. Anyway, so I had been to Fort Gordon. I thought, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm that guy, huh? So anyway, so I put down Fort Gordon as my number one, and I wanted to go Signal Corps. Now, understand, there was, not the, there was clearly not a spiritual decision in my, my mind that was going on in that. But uh, other than the things were going on, and so guess, lo and behold, I get Fort Gordon. Well, I get Fort Gordon, and because I'm a computer guy, they put me at the, the Communication Electronics Board. It's the place where we test all the stuff that the Army's thinking about buying for computers electronics. This is mobile subscriber equipment. We tested this in, in Europe years ago, back in the 80s, before man ever had a clue what cell, cell phones were. The Army was developing it. Those direct TV satellite dishes that you have, those are special forces versus communication systems that we were putting together for the special forces to be able to put a little satellite dish up in the middle of the jungle to be able to, 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 to communicate and put it back down before the enemy could to find out where they were at. A lot of fun stuff, okay? But all that to say, while I was there, lo and behold, next to me in the next computer stall, these are all random, isn't it? This is all coincidence. There happens to be a sergeant whose name is Bob. He's married, and he has a wife. And his wife's name is Marcia. How cool is that, right? And so Bob, Bob is next to Bob, and 
Bob is married to Marcia, and Bob, and so the secretary would have a fun time saying, "Bob, Marcia's on the phone." Good. Who's 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 Mark? Which Bob? Who's Marcia? That's right. And so, anyways, so Bob and Bob, since they were next to each other, started to develop a relationship. Bob, the um, the enlisted man, was older than Bob, the officer, and so. Um, he's asking if I have a church, and clearly we have a church. We want all the kind of stuff, and da-da-da, make a long story short. Anyways, the two churches we were attending started having issues. I had no reason to tell him no anymore because he went to those holy roller churches. It was, a, it was a Baptist church. Needless to say, neither one of us were Baptists at the time, and Baptists didn't have necessarily the best image for, for she and I. That was kind of like anathema. And so we had no other reason to say no, so we went. Well, it made the worst nightmare that I've ever had, and the guy led about 10,000 stanzas just as I am at the end. I gave him my best, let's go outside and take care of this look, and he stared at me the entire invitation, and I thought we were going to duke it out. So needless to say, I didn't want anything to do with it. So months later, they got a new pastor, and... Um, Yada, 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 details, again, coincidences. Invite us back. I had no reason to say no. And you guys, Greg and Connie, I'm looking at Greg and Connie, Rodney and Michelle, you all were there at that time, okay? We were meeting in a, in a cafeteria of a, of a, of a, for, for that church was just developing, and I went, and there was Woody. Anyways, I got led to the Lord, okay? Yada, yada, yada. But God used this man named Bob to draw me to hear the gospel. Years later, Bob got saved. Not me, the other Bob. He thought he was. I won't get into his testimony because I'm only sharing mine, but you'd be interested to hear his testimony. He wound up leaving that church for a sin on his own, okay, for his own, his own reasons, for his own, because of himself. And, uh, and the church had forgiven him, but he couldn't deal with that. So he wound up going to another church. Again, random facts, right? And in that church, it was a larger church, they had a businessman come in who, gave, who preached the message, and he gave his testimony. And Bob will tell you that it was Bob's testimony that this guy gave from the pulpit. And he realized for all these years, he'd been playing a game. He'd been punching a ticket. He'd even led people to the Lord who would go on to serve the Lord. Does that make sense? I mean, I rejoice in what God has done. How... Amazing it was for me to hear him call me years later and tell me he had just gotten saved and his life changed. It changed. And I won't get into the details of how I know that. But light, love, and life. And I just want to challenge you as we get into this, okay? Don't play a game, okay? Don't, I mean, man, how awful would it be to have, have spent all this time being in, in, with God's people and in his word and not to have really known the joy that's really there, that transcends what this world has to offer. So today, we want to talk about the first part of that reflection, and that is the reflection of his light in our life. The impact of the incarnation is such that Jesus came into the world, not just bring us light, but bring us the light in such a way that we would reflect that light to all those who are about us. John instantly shoots that cross, that, that shot across the bow. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we what? We lie. Why? Because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we what? Say it again. All together. 
If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie. Who said so? God. Yeah. Wasn't me. I wish that verse wasn't there. <laughs> It'd be make, us, make everybody feel a whole lot better about himself, wouldn't it? If we say, say, we have fellowship with God, and we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not the truth. We're going to look at five sections throughout here, 1 John as we come through it. I don't have time to do this, a lot of it. But you can see it very well, very, very well that what he says in this conditional, if we walk in darkness, we lie. If we walk in light, we have what? We have fellowship with one another, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. Well, let's look at what Jesus says. If you're still there in John, turn to chapter 8, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. In the context of the woman who was caught in adultery, and everybody was there getting ready to stone her, and Jesus writes their, I think, their sins on the ground. And, you know, everybody walks away, all the elders walk away, and he looks up to her and says, you know, so where are your accusers? And she says, they're all gone. Verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again. He turns to everybody else. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have what? The light of life. Look at verse 11. I should have did verse 11 for the context. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. What? Go and sin no more. Then Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Wow. That's pretty harsh. That's pretty harsh. Verse chapter 12. Go to chapter 12. Jesus says in John 12, verse 46, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Okay? Turn back to John chapter 3, verse that you know very well. We, we quoted it as part of our memory work today, right? So John 3, beginning of verse 16. But we're going to look at the, the whole context of it here, coming down. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This is the condemnation. He defines it now. We always say, what's the condemnation? This is it. He defines it for you. This is the condemnation. The light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. In the Greek, the present tense is used twofold. It is used to denote action that is occurring right now, or it's used to denote action that is continuing. Okay? So the perfect was a past action that has a continuing result. Okay? But the present tense is just, it's now. It's just now. Make sense? It's, it's, it's ongoing. It's, it's now. And so the idea of it is, when you talk about something like this, when we're talking about a lifestyle, is, is we're talking about someone who is residing in this. Someone who is walking in this. And so, let's go back to 1 John, because based upon what Jesus said, right? If you, no one can abide in what? Darkness. You can't abide in sin. You can't abide in darkness. So here's the deal. If you say you have fellowship with Who's him? God. God. And you 
are walking continually, if you would, in darkness. If you can walk in sin, if you can walk in darkness, and it does not bother you, if there is no light of conviction that goes on in your heart, you're probably not his. I didn't say that. God did. But God's putting this out there so that you wouldn't play a game. Does that make sense? He loves you. And so I put on the, you know, hot. Not because I want to restrict my kids, but because I want to what? Protect my kids. Warn my kids. And so God says, look, this is the deal. I've had, for thousands of years, I've had people what? Playing games. Pharisees, scribes, right? Who, who say they what? Know me, but they don't know me. They're just doing their own laws. And Jesus said, we're going to see this in a moment, unless your, your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, whoa, ex- exceed? You have no part. You can't enter into the kingdom of God. And so here's the deal. If you say you believe, and you can believe, say you believe in the incarnation, but it's not affecting your life, you can walk in darkness and it doesn't bother you, you're probably not his. So test number one, are you walking in darkness? Or do you have a lifestyle of darkness and it doesn't bother you? Test number two comes from 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 to 6. Now, some of these are going to get a little bit smaller as they get bigger, so you may need to turn back to them. But I have these uh, verses up on the screen, okay? So 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 to 6. Now, by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Jesus is very clear. I'm sorry. God, through John, is very clear. And now he gives us two more thought processes. First of all, if we say we know him, then we know it's true if we what? Keep his commandments. If we don't keep his commandments, then what? We're lying. Wow, that's kind of rough. Well, let's look what Jesus says. We're there in John. Turn to chapter 14. John 14, beginning of verse 21. Jesus says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Lord, look. How is it that you're going to manifest yourself to us, but not to the whole world? Because I'm just a physical guy, and I'm thinking physically. Now, Judas didn't say all that, right? But that's really what's going on. He's thinking, you know, like emanation. He's thinking Jesus is here in front of him. He can see him. So how is it, Lord, that you're going to manifest yourself? How are you going to reveal yourself to us, but not reveal yourself to the whole world? What did Jesus say? How was he going to manifest himself? Ah, 
by his presence in their life, helping them to do what? Helping them to obey. Galatians chapter 2 says, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I live in the flesh, I now live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And so Christ now what? Lives in me. He says, what's going to happen is, if you love me, my Father and I, and the Holy Spirit, are going to what? We're all going to come and live inside you. And when we come and live inside, that's pretty cool, isn't it? It's going to crowded in there, isn't it? It better be crowded. It should be so crowded that it's kicking sin out, okay? But when they come inside, live inside me, what's going to happen? They're going to remind me. Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to remind me of, of all, he's going to lead me in all truth. And he's going to remind me of the teachings of Jesus. There's going to be the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the conviction of sin against me, and the reminding of everything Jesus wanted me to do. And so, if I love him, if he really is my master, if he really is the one that my discipler, the one who I'm going to follow, then what am I going to do? I'm going to walk in his ways. I'm going to walk in his path. I'm going to walk in his truth. And so, if it's true, then I'm going to keep his commandments. And I'm going to walk as he walked. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. You remember those bracelets years, bracelets years ago? The WWJD? What would Jesus do? That's this thing. But that was just a fad. I really wanted to know how many people really cared what Jesus would do. And if they did care, did they then what? Do it. Those who say they know him, those who say they abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. Do you even care? If you did care, you'd be reading his word. I mean, I promise you that out there, there are people who believe that Bhagwan Rajneesh had truth. You know, from the, the divine wisdom that illumined the mind. It's a book that he wrote. I read it. Okay? Now, I didn't read it because I was following him. I was writing a paper on New Age theology and that kind of stuff, okay? But it's, he got a whole lot of biblical truth in it. He just distorts, okay? And there are people who follow the Bhagwan Ranishas out there, and you know what they do? They study their word. I mean, we get it. Even this week, um, um, yesterday, I think it was a Hagar cartoon. I don't read cartoons very often. Um, but I saw this one, Hagar, and what's his little sidekick with the, the funnel on top of his head? Say again? Lucky Eddie. Lucky Eddie. They're, they're climbing the mountain to see the guru, to see the Swami. And he gets up there, and the Swami's got the old India, you know, the, the Eastern mystic thing going on, right? And he says, the world is spinning. And he says, this guy's been drinking. Anyways, so that's kind of the, the cartoon. But, but think about it. The world got that cartoon. There's a reason why that cartoon was there. Does it make sense? Because people understand the concept. And if you are following somebody, if you say that they have the truth, what do you tend to do? You study them, and you apply what they're, okay? So I've now got a new retirement plan that I, I started this week, okay? So I, I researched it. I researched a bunch of different places, and I went with one. But I know that I'm what? I'm trusting them. Does that make sense? And so I researched a whole lot about them. I studied their methods. Does that make sense? Because I was going to entrust them. If I say that I know Jesus and I'm entrusting him with my internal life, don't you think that would be kind of critical to study and to know what he has taught? 
those who say they know him ought themselves also so to walk, even as he walked. Jesus, and you don't need to turn there, but you can look at this one later. John 13, 15, this is the verse where Jesus said, you know, I'm your Lord and you rightfully call me so. He says, but now if I'm leaving you with this example, you should do what? You should do exactly what I've, I've shown you to do. We should walk in his walk. We've got to keep moving on. So now in John, again, in chapter 2 down to verse 28, but going into the beginning of chapter 3, okay, and you can see there's a lot of, a lot of um, colors here, blue and red and green. The blue is all about end times, okay, his, his, his coming again, okay, and how that affects that. But it's all within the same theme, okay, and we'll talk about the red and green as we go. And now, little children, beginning of verse 28, now, little children, abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. How do we know that? Because we're born of him, right? Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil. Ooh, that's awful. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are what? Manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now, let me show you this real quick. There is um, some words, practice. So we have up here in uh, verse 29, we know that everyone who practices righteousness. Verse 4, whoever commits, the word there commits. Uh, down here in verse 7, he who practices righteousness is righteous. And then down in verse 10, he who does not practice righteous. It's all the same word. So three times practice, one time commit. It's all the, um, the same word in the Greek, and it means just to do. Okay, it's just a generic word, okay, but it means doing. So whoever is poieo is the word. It was whoever is doing righteousness, whoever is doing sinfulness, okay? And so the two themes that are being told, told us here is the one who is doing righteous things is what? He's righteous. I mean, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? The one who's doing righteous things is, is righteous. Well, the flip side of that is what? The one who's doing sinful things is of the devil. So the one who's doing righteous things, he's of God. The one who's doing sinful things, he's of the devil. Now that's kind of rough. So again, we're talking about that lifestyle, right? When you look at your lifestyle, is it a lifestyle of righteousness or is it a lifestyle of sinfulness? I can't answer that question for you. Now, since the day that I gave my life to the Lord, have I been 100% perfect? What are you guys saying no for? 
Because you know, all of us are what? Sinners. Okay? So, do I struggle with sin? I do. However, and I shared this at Thanksgiving, for the Thanksgiving Eve service. When I look back 30 years ago, let's see, I was 23, so 32 years ago now. Okay? Is that right, 32? No, 32 years I've been saved. I mean, I mean, I look at my life now, and I see the sin that I struggle with, the pride and all this other kind of stuff, the lust of the flesh is still there. Every once in a while, it kicks up and you know, rears his ugly head. And, and I go, oh, man, how could someone who was saved think this way, do such a thing, whatever, you know? But I look back 32 years ago, and I look at what my God has done in my life. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by what he has done in my life. I pray, I mean, and it's so easy for me to look at my life right now. Who do you think wants me to look like that? Look at that, that picture. Satan. He wants me to be down. He want, he's a destroyer. He wants me to think, oh, God can't do anything. I forget the things which are behind. I reach forward to the things which are before. But when I look back and I see what my God has done in my life, and allowing me to see, yes, the ups and downs, but it's kind of like, again, looking at that retirement thing. You know, when looking at all the, uh, the charts of all these different investments, you know, the reality is when I look at these investments, they look at my life sometimes, right? I'm not investing in when it's going down. You know, I don't look at the last 10 years and go, oh, that's the one I want to invest in, baby. No, I want to invest in one that's what? Steadily going up. It's going to have down times. That's just part of life. But what happens in the down times? Does it come back? Does it recover? Does it? So Psalm 119, verse um, 9. Um, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to your word. So when, I, when I'm stuck in the pit, what do I do? What does Christ do in me? If you are doing righteous things, you are righteous. If you're doing sinful things, you are sinful. I wanted to go to Matthew 5, um, 14 to 48, the entire chapter almost. We don't have time. But I want you to read that, okay? And I want you to read that from the, the, the perspective of considering what Jesus is telling them there. Again, there are people who say, oh, well, you know, that, that doesn't belong to the church because that's, that's kingdom teaching. Jesus was coming like he was going to be the king, and he was presenting this to Israel, but Israel rejected him. So that teaching, the Sermon on the Mount teaching, it doesn't apply to the church. Hogwash. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's given principles for life. I disagree totally with that. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. And then he gives some illustrations that heighten the law. It heightens the law. You've heard it said. You should not commit murder. But I say unto you, if you call your brother an idiot, paraphrase, <laughs> you're a murderer. You've heard it said, you shall not lust after a woman. But I say, if you think, or thou shalt commit adultery. But I say unto you, if you lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you. He continues to go on four or five times with it. You've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said. I have it on my, my sheet here where I broke out these, you, you heard it said. Four or five times he comes, you've heard it said, but I say unto you, and he doesn't destroy it. He doesn't get rid of it. He doesn't say, but don't worry about it. You've you got liberty. You've got freedom. Do what you want to do. It doesn't really matter. 
Rather, he heightens it. He says this is a heart issue. It's not a physical issue. It's a heart issue. So, to doing the righteous things, lawlessness. He who sins, sin is lawlessness. And so Jesus gets into that lawlessness stuff. And he says, this is what it is. And then he says in chapter 7, yeah, chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, there are going to be some who come to me in that day, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do all these wonderful works in your name? Wow, they're performing miracles. They got the power of God being displayed in their life, or at least it what? Appears so. And he's going to say, depart from me, you son of lawlessness. I didn't know you. That's only for Israel in the millennium? I think not. That's not what he says. You could be going to church all the time. You could be leading people to the Lord, but you don't know him and you're living a life of, of, that's a lie. That's sin. How awful. Did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not do all these wonderful works in your name? Depart from me, you son of lawlessness. I didn't know you. That's why John says, if you say you know him, he doesn't say, if God says he knows you. If you're proclaiming to know him, then your life ought to be like this. It's not perfection, but it's a lifestyle. We've got to move on. 1 John 5, verses 2 to 5. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God. Now, we're going to get to the love next week, okay? But again, how these all intertwine, okay? By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you feel like his commandments are burdensome? God says, it's because you don't know me. His commandments are not burdensome, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. He, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Two things. First of all, faith is observed in us, in our overcoming the world. Secondly, our faith is observed in our obedience. What's the first thing? Faith is observed in our overcoming the world. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. If you really are true, okay, again, we're talking about being the light of the world, okay? If you really are true, then you're going to overcome the world. The world's not going to overcome you. The light that's in you is going to be a light to the world. The darkness of the world is not going to overcome you. And so if you were here in Sunday school, we talked about um, that as well with Tyre and Israel. And how when, when Solomon became king, the king of Tyre, Hiram the king of Tyre, just sent a, a message to, to, to Solomon said, now I know that God is real because he's given Israel such a king as you. That was unprovoked. The king of Tyre. And Tyre was known as the center of commerce, the center of materialism in that day. All the, all the, 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 the merchants would come into to Tyre. Israel had the unique opportunity of being the light in the ancient Near East. They would proclaim that God was real and the world would know. Isn't that what it says? That the world may know that I am God. That's why they were there. Sadly, it was during the days of Solomon that we begin to see that the light didn't overcome the darkness, but that the darkness began to overshadow the light. And rather than Tyre becoming like Israel, Israel became like Tyre. And so that Solomon then 
built a big navy and sent it out of Elot down through the Red Sea, and they went all through Africa, and every, you can check me out on this, and every place, and they brought in monkeys and all this other kind of gold and all this kind of stuff, and so that Solomon became like the king of Tyre rather than the king of Tyre becoming like Solomon, sadly. And it's just like us, we become, rather, we are, Matthew 5 again, back there says, we are a city that is what? Set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid. Do men light a candle and put it under a bushel? No, they stick it out so it can bring light into the room. Sadly, we have this light, the joy, if you know Christ, his joy is in you. But yet we're putting a, a basket, a bushel over it. So nobody around us can know. As the world gets darker and darker, our light should what? Shine brighter and brighter. And, and though the world is, 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 the battle's on, and they're seeking to overcome us. If we really are real, if our faith is true, what should be? What should happen? We should withstand. Having done all, we should what? Stand. But that's because of this first step, and that is, of being observed in our obedience. If we're not obeying, then we're going to fall. It just makes sense, doesn't it? It just goes back to simple obedience. I mean, it's like me talking to my kids. Ouch. And every time I deal with my kids, that's why I think God has allowed my kids to be spread out over so many years, so that I'm continually struggling with the same testimony to my kids. Would you just please obey me? By your own words, you will be condemned. We get it when we're talking to our kids. This is pretty simple. I said, don't do this. That means what? You don't do that. You don't sit there and go wishy-washy. Well, maybe if I do it this way, maybe if I can cross the lines here. One of my, one of my kids, and I won't tell you which one it is, um, is, what, is whatever, um, the line child. You know, that, you know, you say this is the line, and they come like this, and so only the tips of their toes or the edge of their foot is across the line. And it looks so good, doesn't it? But guess what? That's still what? That's disobedience. That's intentional disobedience to just put the edge of your foot. Even just a little, you know, like on, on a shoe, how you have that sole part that comes out just a little bit, the little bit of rubber. They didn't really mean that, did they? Oh, yes, they did. You know, it's really nice when you have the kid who's just like this. Now, I know you hate that kid because it just kind of jumps across the line and wallows in it, and you think, ah! But at least you know where they're at, you know? There's no doubt. This is where they were. They're jumping in the mud puddle. You know, it's that little kid who's just kind of hanging on the side. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to fall in it. I was just on the edge. Yeah. But isn't that a mirror? Huh? Put that mirror up. How many times do we play that game? We want to just toy with the world instead of overcoming the world. And we don't overcome the world because we don't walk in obedience. Ephesians chapter 2. Again, you can look at these verses. I don't have time to go to them. That's why I didn't put them up on the screen. It says that by faith... We are saved through grace. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. It's not of works. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. But we are saved unto what? Good works. James chapter 2. Again, I wanted to read the entire chapter. I knew I wasn't going to have time for all this. But you can read all the way from James chapter 1, verse 22, all the way through James chapter, James chapter 2. And it's talking about faith without works is dead. Be doers of the word and not hearers. Only, look, it, I don't care how much of the word you can memorize, and I don't care how much of my grandma had a lot of the word memorized, but she wasn't a believer. She called God names. 
She got saved two weeks before she died. Praise God for that. But she could quote scripture better than I could. Quoting scripture doesn't make you saved. Reading the Bible doesn't make you saved. Going to church doesn't make you saved. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ, having his joy in you fully, means that you're saved. Finally, the very end of John chapter 5, or 1 John chapter 5, says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, okay, so this possibility to sin a sin that what? Doesn't lead to death, okay? He will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. Ouch. I do not say that he would pray, he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. How much unrighteousness? All of it, that's right. And there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. That's pretty emphatic. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given to us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Two thoughts. The children of God keep themselves from sin. They, keep them, they guard themselves. The word is to guard. They, they, 1 Peter chapter 5 says that the devil is like a roaring lion. He's prowling about, seeking whom he may what? Devour. As a result of that, we're, st- we're told to be what? Vigilant. We're supposed to be vigilant. We're supposed to be on guard. We're supposed to be watching. I think a lot of times we fall because, A, we make for ourselves Romans chapter 14. We tend, or 13, I think it's 14. We, we tend to make for ourselves uh, provisions for the flesh. But the other side is, we're taken unawares. We're not walking, thinking about the warfare that we're in. We're not walking, thinking about the Lord that we represent and we reflect. We're not caring about the light that we're supposed to be re- like a mirror with the sun just being reflected off. That's who we're supposed to be. The children of God keep themselves from idols. And again, you could look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and such like that. This is a big deal. This is the same thing that that Israel fought with. Now, I know we don't have idols other than Statue of Liberty in our land. Okay? It is, if you look at that semiramis. Statue of Liberty is a re- re- reproduction of the semiramis. Go check it out. Okay? And that's our goddess. Our goddess is liberty. We worship liberty in this land. And we're willing to sacrifice everything else in the name of liberty. But we'll leave that go. But we have a lot of idols as well. Anything that stands in the place of God is that which we worship. John says, keep yourself. This is his final statement. It's like it comes out of the blue. Keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from things that you worship in the place of God. If there's anything that you're clinging to more than clinging to God, straight up, it could be your family. It could be your spouse. It could be your car. It could be your house. It could be your job. I don't know what it is. But if you are willing to jettison your relationship with Christ quicker than your relationship, whatever that thing or person is, that thing or that person is your God. God, my wife, slash family, his church, everything else. Does that make sense? 
That's priorities. My wife knows, I hope, that I'll choose God over her. Now, there's a pressure sometimes, and it's not put on her, okay? And I'm sure there's a pressure on the other side as well that we put on our mates to test that loyalty. Our kids do that to us too. But your jobs will do that to you. Sometimes the church can do that to, to each other. Keep yourself, guard yourself from having anything in the place of God himself. That's the ultimate test. The ultimate test. Go back to the, the original Ten Commandments, right? This is how Israel is supposed to, to reveal the, the, the light to the, the ancient Near East. Number one was what? No, that's the greatest commandment. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. He is to be number one. Number two, do not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything, whether in the heavens above or the earth beneath or the waters beneath, uh, the, the earth or the waters beneath. Let nothing be above he who is to be number one in your life. Isn't that amazing? That's what John goes back to. He doesn't say it that way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. If that is number one in your life, if you, then you will be reflecting his light. If it's not true, you're not reflecting his light. If you say you have fellowship with him and you walk in darkness, you lie and you do not the truth. I didn't say that. He did. So, in the end, how would you describe your joy? Do you have joy? If there's the absence of joy, maybe it's because there's the absence of the Lord living inside you. Would you, would you declare that you're his and that you know him? Is that a declaration that you would make? I would confess that I know him. And that um, the question then would be, does your life bear witness of that claim? Do the people around you even know it? You know, the, the ones who... Um, were called Christians in Antioch, that wasn't a, a, a term of, of nicety. That was an accusation. They were little Christ. Everybody knew because they were living their life like ones who walked by the standards of Jesus. What area of your life needs to be submitted to the Lordship of Christ in order for your joy to be increased? If there's a place that you're holding out that's affecting your joy, your joy, God desired for your joy to be full, perpetually. Is there a need for you to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to live as the light in this world that you desire for us to be. Reflections of your light, Lord, not just our own. Not according to the standards of righteousness in this world, but according to the standards of righteousness, which you have provided very clearly in your word, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.